Maniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and today's episode is something that I've kind of wanted to do for a while and just haven't had a good reason, and it turns out this week... I had a great reason, and that reason is the planned episode with our head of research, Ryan Schweck, fell through because he is uh, struck with some sort of horrible sickness that is keeping him out of the podcasting game. Tomorrow night, I'm going to see Birds of Prey, and uh, I just, there's no time. I have no time to coordinate another episode, so what I did is I went on Facebook and Instagram today and threw up a, hey, give me some questions and was thrilled with the response from you guys. I I was delighted by getting actual questions and not people who think they're funny asking dumb questions or being idiots or whatever. Uh, Lots and lots and lots of really great questions. So, I'm going to answer them, and I haven't done a whole lot of research. There are a couple things that, as I was compiling them, sort of, I, I have an idea of what I'm going to say, uh, but I, I didn't, like, make lists or get online and do anything, because this all went down today. Today is Wednesday. You're listening to this Friday. Uh, but it's just, it, it's a cool something, because I have enjoyed, as much as I don't care for it at live panels, when I have listened to podcasts uh, Q&As tend to be a lot of fun uh, because they are sort of a spur of the moment what's coming off the top of your head. And I want to go ahead up front and tell you guys that this is off the top of my head. So a year from now, when we do an episode about whatever the topic of one of these questions might be, and I give a completely different answer, uh, that's that's why. Because a year from now, I will have done some research and had time to think about it. But before we get to those cues, I've got some news. Probably the biggest toy news of the week, and I would dare say the biggest news until Toy Fair actually happens in a couple of weeks, is the announcement that the uh, newly minted partnership between Wicked Cool Toys and Jazzwares, which Wicked Cool Toys uh, is headed by Jeremy Padauer, who used to head Jack's Pacific, is responsible for the WWE Classic Superstars line, uh, which is probably, the, while it had its ups and downs, I would say it's the greatest line of wrestling toys ever created. Uh, Classic Superstars is it, from the packaging to the selection to the quality of most of the releases it's unparalleled in accomplishing the lofty goal that it's set out for uh so he has Jeremy Padauer wicked cool toys has a history with wrestling uh they've had uh, they've done a couple of real scale rings they did like a uh, entrance a pop up entrance stage that I have not seen in person, but I've heard good things about. Uh, the The guy 
has a mind for the business. And then Jazzwares, who is just as exciting a portion of this equation because they are responsible for the six inch Fortnite line. They're also responsible for a three and three quarter inch Fortnite line. But the six inch Fortnite line, which I think is one of the best toy lines going today, even though I'm not actively collecting it, uh, and the idea that the combination of Jeremy Padauer's expertise and Jazzwares' amazing skill at producing action figures are coming together to create a line of AEW action figures based on the wrestlers of All Elite Wrestling. Now, uh, as as you may know from last week's episode, and as you'll hear a little bit more from one of the questions we get, I'm not the biggest fan of AEW. But I do think having lots of different kinds of wrestling figures on the market is a good thing. I think that having a toy line is a major step for AEW uh, because, you know, one, it's going to give their fans more merch. And that's always a good thing to be able to uh, get your fans to invest in things and to to really bring home like equity in your company because when you've got a shelf full of AEW figures that just increases your investment in the product. Uh, I can testify to that with my you know rapidly increasing wrestling figure collection that I'm more into wrestling than I have been in years, and that's part of it. You know, it's it's a weird kind of circle that. It's an Ouroboros of fandom because I'm enjoying wrestling more, so I'm buying more figures, I'm buying more figures, and I'm enjoying wrestling more. Uh, it's this weird thing, but it's it's nothing but good for AEW. Uh, it's great for Jeremy Padauer because I'm thrilled to see him back in the wrestling business. And uh, it's great for Jazzwares because it gives them an opportunity to show that expertise in something other than just the Fortnite line. Because... I've talked about it on the show before. Prior to their Fortnite figures, I didn't have the best opinion in the world of Jazzwares. And actually, you can hear a little more about that uh, on a recent episode of the Nerdy Laser Podcast with our pal Richard Yule. Uh, Go check Rich out. uh, Look for Nerdy Laser on Instagram, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get your podcast, the same place you get the Needless Things podcast each and every Friday. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about it. So this is is huge news for everybody involved. I wish them, you know, wh- whether or not I'm a, a fan of what AEW is doing right now, and I may be a big fan in the future, we'll see. Uh, I wish them all the best of luck because competition in the marketplace is key for everybody's success. So that's great, huge, big news. But for me personally, the biggest news that came out this week was Super 7's announcement of the second wave of their Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Ultimates. Okay, so I talked about this before. The first wave of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Ultimates really, really tempted me. Uh, They are... I didn't know what they were going to... They had been announced, but I didn't know what they were going to be exactly. And it turned out what they are is, that I should have known, the same thing as Masters of the Universe Classics. They are a modern update of the original toy line, uh, which to me is m- the most exciting thing that they could have done because that original toy line is so nostalgic to me. It has so much sentimental value to me. Uh, you know, I didn't necessarily love the cartoon, but I loved the comic books. I loved the toys. Uh, that that for me was the core of the whole thing is 
is that toy line is incredible for its creativity, uh, for its lengthiness, for for the sheer prolificness of it. It's a phenomenal toy line, and now Super 7 is paying it uh, tribute. And one of the things that I like is that there's a finite number coming out. I think they've announced five waves of four figures each. That's 20 figures. Uh, very, very doable, very reasonable. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love for it to go on and on and on and on. Uh, but these figures are $45 a piece, which is pretty steep. And that's coming from somebody who spends uh, what what I spend on Mezco's 112 collective figures, which, again, I do think are the best action figures available on the market today. And if you go back and look earlier this week, I posted uh, the newest episode of the minicast, which is an unboxing and review of the 112 collective Moon Knight figure that recently came out. And it's fantastic. But go listen to that, uh, please, and rate it and share it and do all the good things you do with podcasts that you like. So, this second wave of Super 7 Ninja Turtles consists of Leonardo. Obviously, got to have a turtle in there. Uh, he looks great. Comes with two different heads. Uh, really impressive the way that they're representing, but also updating the original toy line. And, and there's actually... I'll, I'll tell you about the next figure and the wacky thing that they're doing. Uh, so, Leonardo... Uh, like all of the figures, comes with a full set of accessories and a set of accessories that are attached to the uh, sprue, like the old figures were. Uh, he also comes with four additional hands, two katana that are beautifully painted and designed, uh, two throwing stars, a slice of pizza, and this is wonderful, uh, the turtle communicator. And it comes... there. Two separate ones. It looks like the one doesn't actually open, which is fine by me. I have no problem with that. Uh, but it's one that's just the shell, and then one where it's open and has a little antenna out. And it looks wonderful, and um, man, this thing looks so good. But that's not what got me. Uh, the second figure in this assortment is Bebop, the warthog, who looks amazing. Those turtle shells on his shoulders are big and giant and uh, sort of big separate-looking pieces. The, the head is, is absolutely perfect. It's that same grotesque, weird, punker head sculpt, just more detailed, better painted, looks great. He's got his skull necklace, his leather pants, his big knee brace, uh, just looks incredible, comes with uh, open fists and closed fists, a trash can lid shield, his drill gun, and his knife, as well as, like the other figures, the those same weapons but attached in the sprue. Uh, looks just wonderful. As great as I would want Bebop to look. And the thing to remember about these is they're not coming out until this time next year. So what we're seeing are the earliest possible stages of production, or not even production, of, of samples that they could show. These, as Super 7 has shown in the past, will evolve over time before they come out to, you know, this looks great now. If I had this action figure in front of me, I'd be thrilled with it. But between now and when it comes out, I think it's probably only going to get better. Uh, the third figure in this assortment is Shredder. And this is the old school wacky toy shredder just no shirt razor shoulder pads the gauntlets uh black pants little purple underpants 
just looks exactly like the original Shredder, except he does the one thing that I always wanted that original Shredder to do, and he never did. He stands up. He's not squatting down like he's got a poop. And it just, I love it. I love it. And now something interesting that you don't know unless you actually read all the details, he comes with not just the molded plastic cape that you see in these pictures, but also a soft goods cape, which is very important to me because that original Shredder had a soft goods cape. And as good as this plastic one looks, uh, I, I want him to have a soft goods cape. Now his extras, uh, he comes with two katana. It looks like uh, they're actually... A little bit different than the ones that Leo comes with. Hang on, let me scroll back. Nope, they're the same. Same katana that Leo comes with, which is fine. I have no problem with that. Uh, he comes with closed fists and open fists and an alternate head that is a reproduction of Shredder's original head. Now, when I first saw this, I looked at it and I was like, what kind of goofy fucking shenanigans is this? Because his forehead and eyebrows are painted on the front of the helmet. Now, as soon as I thought, saw it, I thought, well, that looks really stupid, but my guess is it's an homage to the original figure, but I don't remember the original figure looking like that. I went and looked it up. Sure enough, that is exactly what it looked like. I don't know how that's something that fell out of my memory, but uh, I love that they've got a corrected head and that original toy head. Now, maybe there are other options they could have gone with for the alternate head that might have been cooler, that I would have liked more. But here's the thing. This is a very Masters of the Universe Classics move. You include the toy head and you include the classics head or the ultimate head as they would refer to it here. And uh, I can't argue it, you guys. It's, it's, it's in keeping with what they're setting out to do. And to me, staying true to that kind of plan is, is important. And admirable. And the final figure in this wave, this is the one that stole my heart and made me stand up and go, what? At work. Mutagen Man. Now, there are, what, 200 different characters? Not not figures. 200 different characters, something like that, from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line. Uh, I can list a lot of characters that I would have said it's reasonable to me that they would make this person before they would make Mutagen Man. But Mutagen Man is one of my favorite action figures of all time. He's so weird. Like, he, to me, is the very best of what the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line was capable of. And now Super 7 is releasing a fully articulated, modern-style mutagen man. He comes with this big mutagen gun, all the little parts that you stick inside of him to float around and whatever you choose to fill him with, the hose that goes from his little stopper hat uh, to the back of, of the, the body. He's beautiful, and I have to have him. Uh, and the problem with feeling that way is that's how I end up collecting lines. That's how I ended up collecting Masters of the Universe Classics is Scareglow came along, and he was beautiful, and I had to have him, and I was just going to buy the one, and then, and then they reoffered Skeletor. And I was like, well, man, I'd like to have Skeletor too, and that was it. It was all downhill from there. Now I have you know, 16 square feet of Masters of the Universe Classics in my home. And, and am really tempted to order Snake Mountain. But I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. Uh, so, 
that that is your second wave of Ultimate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figures from Super Seven. That Shredder, Leonardo, Bebop, and Mutagen Man. And boy, howdy, am I tempted! Uh, all right, I think that covers the the big bits of news this week. I normally I would wait one more day to record everything. Uh, but like I said, I'm going to see Birds of Prey tomorrow night. Uh, I got a couple things going on during the day tomorrow, so I gotta go ahead and get this thing wrapped up, you guys. So if you've if you submitted a question, thank you very much. I appreciate it. If you listen to this and think to yourself, "Well, I've got a question," go ahead and send it along because in the event that I don't make it through all of these questions in this episode, which is entirely possible, I'm saving whatever I don't get to because I've got a couple of people that ask multiple questions. So I'm going to, you know, skip around. So we don't get four from one person and, and none from another one. Uh, so I'm going to be saving any questions I don't get to and any questions I get as a result of this episode, uh, I will use on a future Q and a episode. So if you think of anything, if anything sparks your mind, you're like, gee, I wonder what Dave thinks about this or, or what, what kind of input he might have on this thing. Uh, send it to me, email me at phantom troublemaker at gmail.com. Uh, hit me up on Facebook, go to the needless things podcast, Facebook group and post it in there. Uh, but if you ask a question and it's a serious question, it's not some dumb shit where you're trying to be funny or get me or something. Uh, if you ask a real question, I will answer it 100%, uh, at some point. And if it turns out that another Q and A is going to be too far along, uh, maybe I'll just answer it right there. We'll see. Or maybe I'll answer it there and then still answer it on the Q and A. Cause the question may be, or the answer may be entirely different by the time I record again. Uh, but whatever the case, here we go. Let me pull my list up. Uh, and while I'm doing that, you guys sit back and listen to our pals, the Mystery Men. Okay, let's sit down and answer some questions. As I said, I posted in the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group, which you should join if you have not, uh, on, on regular Facebook, on Instagram. And you know what? I haven't checked Instagram. Let me take a look here real quick and see if I got any responses there. I never do. I Every once in a while, I'll put up like a poll or one, one of the little daily deals you can do in uh instagram stories and i don't think i've ever gotten a response for anything on there a thing where you can vote like i've done that yeah 24 people looked at my uh request for questions but nobody submitted any questions and then if i go over here that was phantom troublemaker on instagram which you should go and follow now and you should also uh, also follow Needless Things Podcast on Instagram. Uh, and I'm going to take a look here. There's a picture of the Moon Knight figure. And no questions. Uh, seven people looked. Uh, you know, i got to say, the Needless Things Podcast Instagram, I feel like should get a little more attention. But here's the thing. I give it 
about uh, uh, not from me i give both instagram accounts about the same amount of content and attention and sometimes i even try and make the needless things podcast stuff a little more interesting but i have it set as a business or whatever it is and i think yeah as a website and i think that works against it as far as getting attention for anything uh, it's it's really interesting how hard social media works against independent content providers. I don't want to say creators, uh, even though I I, you know, I create things, uh, but content providers is probably something I'd be a little more comfortable with as a description. And uh, it, it really is shitty how hard they make it. Here's the craziest thing in the world, though. Real quick, before I get to the first question. The other day I posted a picture of a WWE Elite box set of the Undisputed Era. Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly. That I had found at Walmart. This is a ringside exclusive box set that retails for... I want to say it was originally 60 bucks, and I think it's on ringside for 80 now. At one point, the Walmart website had it for 50 uh, I found it for 20 bucks in a physical Walmart store, like buried in the back of it, their throwaway clearance section. Bought it, rang up for 20 bucks, rang up as uh, WWE uh, uh, something moments, undisputed moments. I, I don't remember what the heck it is, but it rang up as the right thing. It's not like it had the wrong tag on it or something. Uh, posted a picture of that and 230 likes, which you know, is if you're comparing me to a girl on Instagram who's showing her boobs or something, that's nothing. But for me, for the independent uh, content provider that I am, with social media working against me every second of the day, 230 likes is a record. I've never gotten even close to that on anything before. So it's very interesting that this got so much attention, and I, I really don't know why. I didn't use any more special hashtags than I ever do. Uh I don't know. Very interesting. I, I, this one snuck through the algorithms, I guess is how I feel. Okay, that's enough. Uh, please follow Phantom Troublemaker and Needless Things Podcast on Instagram. Uh, now it is time for the first question. Uh, this one comes from the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group. It is from Allison, who is a uh, longtime friend of the show. Uh, what is, she, has th- she has three questions, uh, but since they're all in one line... I am unfairly going to answer them all because they all have fairly short answers. Uh, what is your favorite decade for horror? And you know, just off the top of my head, I, I say the eighties. And you know that that maybe that's not fair. Maybe there's been better horror. You know, certainly the last decade has been incredible for horror. Uh, and then you go back and you look at you know the thirties and some. Trend truly like we don't understand the definition of the word trend setting or groundbreaking. Like we we really don't know what those words mean now because everything has been done. It is very unusual to see something that is truly uh, groundbreaking in, in this day and age. So like that's an amazing time when all the universal stuff was happening. But you know, for me. Typically, if it's something from the 80s, I'm going to enjoy it, like our needless commentary uh, that, why well, I think I've already announced it, right? Well, even if I haven't, here it is here. Uh, we watched My Bloody Valentine 
this past Sunday, and it's going to post on Valentine's Day next Friday. And it's an 80s horror movie, and I my expectations were very low. And it's so much fun. It's great. And there's a certain idealism and aesthetic that just appeals to me because I grew up in that era. Uh, it's a touchstone for me. And the language that 80s horror films were speaking is my native language for horror, if that makes sense. Uh, and I, you know, all of these questions that I'm going to be answering, I could get entire episodes out of any one of these, I'm sure. So, you know, I'm not going to go on and on and on. I'm, I'm just going to give, you know, a, a succinct answer. And if at some point I feel like something needs to be elaborated on even more, then maybe we'll revisit it with an entire episode in the future. And that's a question that uh, could absolutely make for an episode. Uh, her second one, do you have favorite directors or genres? 100% I, I have favorite directors. Uh, I will always love Sam Raimi. Um, I am a big fan of Stuart Gordon. Um, and if we're, we're just talking horror here. Uh, John Carpenter is the man. Uh, he is unmatched, in my opinion. Uh, say what you will about his later career, but he made more perfect movies, not just in the horror genre, but more perf perfect movies than most directors in general uh, make movies at all. So John Carpenter is is absolutely the man. Uh, I'm sure there are others that uh, I'm looking around right now. <laughs> just looking at the stuff in here. I'd love to mention somebody modern. Uh, you know what? Obviously, I love Rob Zombie. I, I'm not going to try and say he's one of the greatest directors of all time, but he's somebody that I've watched grow and learn the language of film over the past couple of decades, and I, I love what he does. I'm not going to say it's the best thing in the world, but but I think it but I think it's great. How about that? Uh, nobody is going to ever compare Rob Zombie to John Carpenter in a favorable manner, but I think Rob Zombie. Uh, much as I said in the news, I think having a, a game plan or an aesthetic or a, an idea of what you want things to be and sticking to it and getting good at that thing is very admirable. So in the same way that I want Shredder you know, to have that head with the eyebrows painted on the helmet, I want Rob Zombie to keep making vile, redneck, white trash exploitation movies uh it's just it's what he's set out to do and he's doing it uh Wes Craven obviously I can't leave Wes Craven out another one who has put out a remarkable number of just great films um I, I'm gonna stop there so I don't have to say um anymore but you know those are some of my favorites uh and then Takashi Miike I'll throw that out there as well because I just glimpsed the third portion of Allison's question uh Takashi Miike is a Japanese director and some of this stuff is incredible, some of this stuff is garbage, but he is the most prolific filmmaker, I think, whose career I've ever followed. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, go check him out. He's done some crazy stuff, and one of my favorite things, even though uh, compared to some of his other work, it's kind of tame. He did a trilogy of movies called Dead or Alive, nothing to do with the video games, that blew my mind at a time where I didn't think it could be blown anymore, and uh, really 
got me into a hardcore phase of of enjoying Japanese cinema. Uh, e- even even more so than like The Ring or The Grudge did, uh, because th- those were you know those were the start of, of my really starting to explore that stuff. But Takashi Miike's Dead or Alive trilogy is a mind blower. Uh, check out any of his movies, and he, he's even done some family stuff as well. Uh, the Great Yokai War is incredible, family friendly. I mean, it's got some spooky, creepy stuff in it, but there's nothing like, like you you think some American movies that come out are hardcore. They're nothing compared to some of the stuff Mike has done. Uh, believe me, trust me when I tell you that. Uh, oh gosh, I can't. Gozu, Gozu, I think uh, it's got a pig head on cover. And you guys, you're going to want to take a shower after you see that one. So anyway, uh, yeah, Takashi Miike is is very inspirational to me. He was actually featured in uh, Eli Roth's Hostel as one of the people paying to torture people because Eli Roth has such a great uh, amount of respect for him. Eli Roth, another guy I really enjoy. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Are you more interested in foreign or American horror? American horror, 100%. Uh, You know, I've gone through phases from time to time where I really get into Italian stuff or I really get into Japanese stuff. uh, And I like that, but going back to what I said about 80s horror movies uh, speaking my native language... There's something to that because when I watch Japanese or Italian or whatever, one, I, I watch with subtitles. I, I never watch dubs unless it's the only option for a movie that I feel like I have to see. I can't stand it. Uh, uh, subtitles are the way to go. But I, I'm not Japanese. I'm not Italian. So the wavelength is different. I can enjoy them. And I can think, like, Lucio Fulci does some amazing stuff. I can, like I said, Takashi Miike, I can really get into what he's doing and be impressed with it, but it doesn't connect with my heart in the same way that a red-blooded, English-speaking horror flick does. And I'm not saying either one is better or worse, but as far as my interest, my investment, and what touches my heart the most... Uh, it's got to be American every time. And, and that's just culturally, I, I just think you're being disingenuous if you claim otherwise. Uh, so there you go. Thank you, Allison, for, for great questions. And again, any one of those could make for a full episode of the show. Uh, next up, longtime friend, uh, my buddy Jason. I, I love him. He's one of the greatest people on the planet. Uh, and he's got some good questions here. Uh, buddy, I, if you want to write some more for the site ever, please do. You're great. Uh, what comic book would you like to see turned into a movie or TV show? Whew. Uh, what, what, what's left? <laughs> I mean, for real. Uh, you know, they're doing Bone. Um, gosh. I, I honestly, I, I can't really think of anything that I'd be particularly interested in that they haven't done. Um, I Here, I'll throw this out. Rather than a comic book, because, I mean, everything is... is uh, The rights for everything have been bought now. I feel like anything I'm interested in has been adapted. Um, however, there is one sort of outlier. Well, there are two. I'll give you two outliers that I think could be great. I would I would lean towards animation. Uh, 
but like CG or traditional animation, I think could work well. Uh, Usagi Ojimbo, Stan Sakai, Sakai, Sakai. I'm not sure. Uh, Usagi Ojimbo would be a phenomenal television show. Uh, it could be done. I, I would want it done in traditional animation, but I would want the people who did the last Ninja Turtle show to do it. I think that would be incredible. Uh, and then the other one is Scud the Disposable Assassin. Uh, I would want his creator, Rob Schraub, to be the showrunner. And that could be anything. Uh, that could be live action. That could be animation. That could be CG. I think it could it could, it could work in multiple formats. Uh, I think it would... I would probably make it an Adult Swim style show, but not on Adult Swim because I would want Rob Schraub to actually make money off of it. Uh, but I think 15 minute serial style episodes, probably an internet show, would be the best way to go. Uh, but those are two I would love to see in action. Uh, the, they would be very, very cool. And I'm sure, again, this is top of my head. This is just sort of well want looking around the room but also just top of my head what i'm thinking of if i sat down and did research i'm sure i could come up with other stuff uh but like i said everything's getting adapted now what's left uh and then a second question from jason that actually i am going to move on because this is a completely different question uh so i'm going to make a little little note right here that we'll come back to that or save it for a future episode uh, next, we have another Jason, and I'm answering these uh, in the order in which they came in. So, uh, they're, they're, I'm jumping back and forth between platforms where they were asked, but as they were coming in, I was making, uh, I, I was copying them into notes. So, uh, from Wilson, director of the award-winning documentary Troublemaker, which you should go check the trailer out and uh, stay tuned for release information. Uh, I love I loved this question, actually. This is another one that could be a whole episode from Wilson. Ghostbusters toys or the real Ghostbusters toys? Now, it occurs to me now that I'm not sure when he says Ghostbusters toys... Uh, I don't know if he's talking about the old filmation Ghostbusters with the monkey or the ape or whatever, or if he's talking about like the movie Ghostbusters. Since it's Wilson, I'm going to guess he's talking about the Ghostbusters with the apes. Uh, so the filmation Ghostbusters toys from... Oh shit, who made those? Not Bandai. Oh, that's going to bother me now. Okay. Filmation. Ghostbusters. Toys. I even have one in the other room, but I can't very well get up uh, with my stupid headset attached to my head. Uh, okay. Filmation. Ghostbusters. Toys. Just give me a picture, please. Shaper. Well, no wonder I didn't know what it was. S-C-H-A-P-E-R. Who the fuck is Shaper? Okay, now this is interesting. We're going to go down a little uh, rabbit hole here together. 
And if you don't know, Ghostbusters was originally owned by uh, Filmation because it was based on an old live-action television show uh, that featured two guys who went and caught ghosts and had a talking ape named Tracy uh, that helped them. It's pretty silly. Uh, You can find the pilot on YouTube. I'm not sure if more have gone up since the last time I looked or not. But it's it's sort of lovable, lovable, shitty television. Like, it's really, really corny. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. So, you know, I'm not going to shit on it. But when uh, everybody was putting together the 1984 Ghostbusters movie, they wanted to call it Ghostbusters and then found out that that was already owned by Filmation. So I think Ghost Breakers was the alternate they actually shot a bunch of scenes with people saying ghost breakers instead of ghostbusters uh if you watch the movies that made us it explains all of this um but anyway filmation's ghostbusters uh they put out a ghostbusters cartoon which is why the ghostbusters cartoon based on the 1984 movie was called the real ghostbusters very convoluted legal horseshit that really doesn't matter because what we got was two really interesting toy lines based on two uh, completely different properties that were around the same concept. So Filmation's Ghostbusters were, it was basically, as you could guess, pretty much like the He-Man cartoon. You had the same villain every time, Prime Evil, that would send uh, his his villainous hench people out to cause trouble in the world. And then the Ghostbusters, uh, let's see, were the actual Eddie... Eddie Spencer, Jake, who apparently doesn't have a last name, and Tracy the Gorilla would uh, hop in the ghost buggy and leave the ghost command house to go and uh, fight Primeval's terrible, terrible hinge people. And they're great-looking toys. I really like them. They have that cheap 80s-ness. They look an awful lot... uh, Aesthetically, they're similar to Thundercats. They're similar to some of the um, He-Man figures, sort of. Uh, they're very cool. I'd love to have a, a complete set of these and have them on a shelf. But then you go and you look at Kenner's real Ghostbusters line, and it's a whole other level of toy. First of all, the human figures look... Yes, they're the cartoonier versions of Peter, Ray, Egon, and Winston, but they look great. And then they made dozens of different kinds of ghosts very few of them from the cartoon but crazy features with you know slime or people that turned into ghosts or mailboxes that turned into ghosts or uh, they made a vw bug that turned into a ghost i mean just an expansive creative again kind of like the ninja turtles line so much creativity went into this line because it's a li- it's a licensed property. You have the Ghostbusters themselves, and, and later on you get Janine and you get Lewis. Uh, you got Slimer, who originally was just Green Ghost because he hadn't been named Slimer yet. Uh, but then when you branch out from those core characters that are, that are directly from the movie, you get all kinds of just crazy stuff. Uh, so I've got to go with the real Ghostbusters line. As, as much as I think the Filmation Ghostbusters are cute, the the real Ghostbusters is, I mean, it's one of the greatest toy lines of all time. 
So you can't compare it. And also, the you know, Filmation's Ghostbusters lasted, it looked like, pretty much one series. You had uh, the playset, a few vehicles, and about a dozen figures, and that's that. Whereas the real Ghostbusters went on for years and produced, you know, uh, 100 figures or more. So I, I'm going with uh, real Ghostbusters on that one. And, uh, Wilson, I'm pretty sure you meant what I thought you meant, but if you meant the movie Ghostbusters, then I'll revisit this at some point in the future. Moving on to our pal James Palmer. What's your favorite toy line ever? Uh, I've, I've answered this before. It's entirely possible. I've given slightly different answers, but I think I almost always... As a matter of fact, I think I always say G.I. Joe. Um because because it's G.I. Joe. I've told the story many, many times about how I went from uh, Mego, and, and actually that was another possibility for this week's episode, is I was going to discuss my personal history of toy collecting, uh, but th- instead we're doing this, and without getting into my personal history of toy collecting too much, I went from Mego to Star Wars to G.I. Joe. Uh, that's That's the simple way to say it. Uh, G.I. Joe had superior articulation. The vehicles were... Everything about G.I. Joe, while I love Star Wars, and it will always be near and dear to me, and my fandom for Star Wars is hard to parallel with anything else, the G.I. Joe toy line... Settle down, everybody. Is a superior toy line from a toy playability design standpoint. And that's how I feel. And on top of that, uh, G.I. Joe had a cartoon at the time that went along with it, whereas Star Wars 1983, uh, pretty much post-Jedi for me, there was no Star Wars media for for a very long time. I I was not a big fan of Ewoks or droids as cartoons. Uh, There was nothing tied in with the Ewok movies, and, and also they're terrible, as you can hear on an episode of the Needless Things podcast from two years ago now? Holy shit. No, it was, uh, well, it was last summer, I think, when uh, Chad, our, our pal Chad J. Shank paid us a visit from the West Coast uh, last summer, this past summer. No, last summer. Whatever. 2019. Uh, so, as much as I loved Star Wars... When you're a kid, you need something to keep you engaged. And that's why I've always totally understood the idea of having a toy line that ties into, you know, a comic or a, a cartoon or, or whatever. And yeah, I know people before the 80s just use their imagination to give these characters. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I was born in the era of the death of the attention span. And if you wanted to keep my attention and you wanted to keep my interest in your thing, you needed to have uh, some kind of ongoing media. And that's just how it was. So in in addition to being a superior toy line, having ongoing media for a few years at least, uh, there was also the fact that my dad was in the military. He was a big military guy. Um he was in Vietnam. He was in the National Guard. He retired as a lieutenant colonel. Uh, it was it was a huge part of his life and our lives. And he, you know, as as somebody who, you know, maybe without necessarily being conscious of it, but I was always desperately trying to find some kind of connection with because we had very few common interests uh, when I was growing up. 
uh, we're just different people, and that's that's how it is sometimes. Uh, so to have, you know, he was all in on GI Joe at first, anyway. Before it started getting wacky, uh, he he would come home unprompted with new vehicles and new figures. Uh, it was something that we could enjoy together. And while he he never could accept the cartoon because it was too silly for him, uh, the toy line he was into. So that that touchstone, that bond with my dad that GI Joe uh, created, one of the few that we have. Uh, is very important and always will be to me. So there you go. Favorite toy line ever, G.I. Joe. And we've, we have done whole episodes about that. Uh, just go back through the Needless Things podcast archives and go visit uh, oldneedlessthings.com for tons of articles about G.I. Joe. Uh, let's see here. Oh, look, it's our pal Ryan Cadaver posted in the Needless Things podcast Facebook group. Uh, or actually, this one might have been on my regular. Um, yeah, gosh, Cadaver's got two two good ones, but we're probably going to have to save the other one. Uh, what video game franchise would you like to see turned into a live-action Netflix series? I just read that a Resident Evil series was coming out, and which, by the way, breaking news, I didn't know that at all. Uh, more on that uh, next week, maybe. Or actually, I'll see Ryan uh, tomorrow night. Uh, so I'm going to ask him about that. But uh, it got me thinking about this. What video game franchise would you like to see turned into a live-action Netflix series? Man, you know I'm not as big a gamer. Um, so, of course, I'm going to have to look back at video games that I have a little more familiarity with. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing modern day that I could say. Well, I mean, okay, look, Arkham Knight. I would love to see Arkham Knight turned into a live-action Netflix series. <laughs> It'd be fucking awesome. But I don't think that's quite the answer you're looking for. Uh, so I'll, I'll try and think about you know what else might be good. I mean, I don't play a whole lot. I think, you know what? Here you go. I'm going to go with an answer that you may realize is kind of obvious. I, I'm talking just to Ryan now. Everybody else just turn it off. I'm just talking to Ryan. Uh, it, it's obvious... For a couple of reasons. One, it's one of the few games that I played to completion in recent years. Uh, and two, it's it's just a huge franchise that I'm a little surprised nothing has been done with in this way. Although the people who created it are very protective of it. So I kind of get it. But uh, man, God of War. Give me a fucking God of War show. Game of Thrones budget. Um, eight episode seasons. Maybe even six episode seasons. But holy shit, dude. Just just picture that. Just picture Kratos. We get three seasons, maybe. Yeah, you could do more, but let's say from the start we look at three seasons because that's about as far as anything seems to get on Netflix. The first season is the first game. The second season uh, just sort of takes the best stuff from uh, the the middle games. And then the last season, uh, he's he's got his son, and they're, you know, off. Uh, man. And I'm not saying adapt the games directly, because how boring is that? We've already done that story. But take the concept of this fallen warrior trying to redeem himself. Well, first out for revenge, and then later trying to redeem himself. Uh and make it a show. Don't, you know, don't, don't adapt the games directly, because one, what's he going to just run around fucking swinging his fiery chains around for an hour obviously you can't do that uh 
but take the core concept of this Spartan and build a narrative around it. And I'll tell you what, and this is going to sound obvious, but it excites me just thinking about it. Get the people that did Spartacus, the first season of Spartacus. I, well, I think they did all the seasons. They just changed actors. But get the Spartacus people on this. I think it's Stephen S. DeKnight. Is that who it was that was running that show? Woo, baby. I would be a thousand percent on board for that. Just, just imagine... Let's cast, because I've heard different casting ideas for Kratos, because obviously people have talked about some sort of adaptation of God of War. But here, here's my Kratos. Because when the new one came out, this is exactly who I thought of. Let's get Tommaso Ciampa, since, you know, how, how much longer has he got left in the ring? I'm glad his neck surgery worked out and he's having badass matches again. But let's transition this guy to acting. Cast him as Kratos, because who the fuck else are you going to cast that looks exactly like Kratos? And just let him go. Because we already know the guy can act. We already know he can be intense. He can be violent. He can be crazy. He can be quiet and stoic. What a guy. What a concept. Let's make God of War on Netflix happen. Uh, okay, moving on. Uh, we've got time for a few more here. This is actually pretty great, because it means I'm going to have a lot uh, left for another one. And having enough left for another one means there's a better likelihood that it'll happen sooner. Because if I end up with enough questions left here uh, for a whole other episode, which it's looking like will be the case, I'll just do another one next month. Because uh, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, Andrew, uh, this is on my, my personal account. Are the 1980s Muscle Men series gaining any value? And a little smiley face with the glasses on it. So I have to explain this one. Uh, this is Andrew, who is a childhood friend of mine. I, uh, I've i talked about it before. I don't tend to have long-lasting relationships. It's just not something. I don't know if it's, it's, uh, it's obviously me, but I, I just don't maintain contact with people for all that long and uh i'm not andrew and i aren't like palling around or anything but we reconnected on facebook and we exchanged uh you know pleasantries every once in a while but uh one of my clear childhood memories is of uh me and andrew going outside to a little section uh my parents house that i grew up in the basement door had sort of a brick like it was we were on a hill so that the back of the house on the first floor was level with the ground. Uh, and then a hill went down so that you could get down to the foundation of the house in the basement door. I don't know how well I'm explaining that. And there was a brick wall that went out from the basement door. It was like a retaining wall. So it was almost like this little nook in the hill where you went down into the basement. It was a really cool little design with cool little area and uh, Andy and I would take buckets of muscle men and just cover the bricks with the muscle men because you could sort of squeeze them in between the bricks where the mortar is. You could put them all over, and we would just go down there and spend like, I don't know, an hour just taking muscle men and sticking them all over that brick area. Uh, and that was it. Like we didn't really fight with them or anything. It was just a matter of, of, uh, sticking them up there. And now, now that I'm thinking more about this, I think maybe we were even doing sort of a, 
uh, thing where you'd stick them all over the place and then the other person would have to go find them all. That sounds right to me. I think that's accurate. Um, and I remember my mom like coming in with a handful of them. Like I found these down by the basement door again. You guys really need to clean up all your toys when you're done playing. You know, she'd find them stuck in the bricks or whatever ones that we hadn't found. But it was a lot of fun. And that was, uh, you know, we had the wrestling ring, but that thing always. I had two of those, and both of them, the same thing happened. The little fork part broke off, so you couldn't use it anymore. But I mean, we we wrestled and fought with them and stuff. But my main memories of muscles was doing that. So that's why that's why Andrew's asking that one. And let me take a look here. Gaining any value? Well, it depends on your perspective. If you go look at eBay and you type in Mattel muscle, and you look at sold listings, uh, we have a lot of eight figures for ten bucks. Uh. A lot of 90 colored figures for $100. Because uh, if you remember, the original muscles were all this like pink color. And then later on, they started introducing like wild, uh, neon, bright, vibrant colors into the line, which I didn't like uh, because I felt like they were betraying the original line, which is silly. Um, 90 colored muscles for 100 bucks, 75 for 47.14. I think the answer to this question is. If there's a specific one you want, you're probably going to pay a premium for it. But if you want to just buy a buttload of them, you can get them for a pretty good price. Uh, so there you go. I think that's uh, that's the answer to that one. I I don't know that I, I gained in value, perhaps. But I know as a kid, if there was a specific one I wanted, I would have paid for it. So. Uh, no, I would say compared to other toy lines from the 80s, no, these have not uh, appreciated significantly. Uh, okay, let's see. Moving on. Nathan from the 42nd cast. What is your favorite era of Doctor Who and why? Now, when you say era, are you talking about a doctor's entire run or a specific run within a doctor's season like trial of a time lord or a key to time uh i i would assume because technically those are stories i guess so if, if we're talking era as in who's my favorite doctor uh and, and maybe that's not quite what you mean but i'm going to answer it that way i i've it's tom baker it's always tom baker i have watched i own most of it on dvd um, actually, you know what? At this point, I think I might have all. No, there got to be a couple of holes. There got to be a few I'm missing. But I, I've watched them over and over again. Anytime I want some sort of classic sci-fi with that flavor, I put in Doctor Who and I love it. Uh, with James Bond, with Star Trek, with anything else that I love, even Star Wars sometimes, there have been times when I thought I wanted to watch one of those things, and then I kind of didn't really. I zoned out or, or didn't really pay attention. Doctor Who gets my it captivates me every single time. Uh, that Tom Baker era, and again, it's uh, even though it's funny and it's it's a variance from what I said about the '80s horror movies because obviously the Tom Baker era predated my birth. Uh, well, no, I guess let's see. When did he stop? Um, Eighty. Peter Davison came in in 81 or 2. So, but but anyway, I was not cognizant of Doctor Who before Tom Baker was done being the Doctor. But the way that they were broadcast 
uh, on my local PBS affiliate, uh, I I was because uh, the first thing I ever saw was trial uh, not trial of the time lord uh, the five doctors. I saw that when it was broadcast in America. And I can't remember the date right now, but I've written about it and talked about it tons and tons of times when I've done the research. And then a couple of years after that, I just came across Terror of the Zygons on PBS Saturday night. And I was, I didn't even realize at that point that I was watching the same thing, but it hooked me. So even though it was from a decade earlier than when I was watching it, I was entranced. I loved it. It, Here's what it is. That taught me the language of Doctor Who, taught me the language of episodic science fiction. And so that's why that's my native language for that kind of science fiction and for Doctor Who. And it's why I'm having, you know, modern Doctor Who, as it's gone on, has gotten further and further away from that style. And I'm not talking about the the social consciousness that the show displays because that's always been there. That's inherent to the show. And uh I can't put my finger on why I'm not in love with Doctor Who, with modern Doctor Who. Uh but that that Tom Baker era, uh, that's it. That's it for me. It's the best. He's the best. They had the best stories, the best companions, just everything about it. It's the golden age of Doctor Who for me. Uh, okay, let's see. We've got time for a couple more. Uh, Gary, our pal Gary Mitchell, director of the Sci-Fi Classics track. Uh, toy that surprised you the most, good or bad? Oh, wow. I mean, I, I can't definitively say that whatever I answer with is absolutely the toy that surprised me the most. Uh, hmm. For me to think historically would would take more thinking and and reminiscing and personal research than I, I want to devote to this episode right now. But I will say, as far as recent things go, the toy that surprised me the most is the Storm Collectibles Hulk Hogan. Uh, the Hulkamania Hulk Hogan, uh, the all red and yellow, it blew me the fuck away. Uh, there have been a couple other toys that have really been excellent, but I kind of was expecting them to be excellent. This one, my expectations were kind of middling uh, because it really... I thought, oh, it's probably going to be a little nicer than one of Mattel's elite figures, but I the pictures online... I wasn't crazy about the elbow joints, and I just, I don't know. I, I wanted one because I wanted a cool Hulk Hogan figure, but when it got here and when I took it out of the box, it's unbelievable. Uh, soft goods shirt, the posability, aesthetically, it is very much like a Mattel Elite figure, but posability-wise, it's as good as any Japanese figure you own. It's it's in incredible uh comes with a little uh bandana that fits over his headband on either of the heads that he comes with uh it comes with a few different hands i wish that he had uh flat hands though so he could do his posing right i don't know why they overlooked that uh the paint's immaculate uh the the materials that are used are great his skin tone there has never been aside from hasbro's there has never been a hulk hogan figure that's tan enough 
They always go with this sort of meek Caucasian color, and it blows my mind because the man is fucking orange. This one has a dark, deep tan that looks like the Hulkster. I'm telling you, this figure, it's expensive. It's uh, its going to cost you 40 to 50 bucks, depending on where you find it. If you get a really good deal, you might get it for around 30 to 35 Worth every penny. It's the best... Yeah. It's the best wrestling figure that I own or, or have ever owned. It's unbelievable. And I was very surprised... I wasn't surprised that it was good. I was surprised that it was incredible because I didn't expect that. Uh, as far as bad goes, because uh, I, I want to give you a bad one too because I think that's fun. I'm trying to think if I've ever been absolutely just shocked that a toy was bad. Uh, and it's it's hard to talk about stuff that's bad or negative because I think we tend to avoid things that we know are going to be bad. So... I guess for me, it genuinely is a surprise when something is bad. Just off the top of my head, the last real, the the biggest piece of shit I can remember was a Jack Pacific CM Punk figure. It was a 12-inch figure, and uh, it was just garbage. The articulation was bad. The paint was bad. It looked like shit. The aesthetics weren't good. It, It was just a bad, bad, bad figure. Um, I'm sure it's not the worst, uh, you know, surprisingly bad figure I've ever gotten, but it it was it was bad. Uh, okay, uh, let's see, get a couple more on here. Uh, let me get a couple of easy ones. Oh, this one's easy. Rich from Nerdy Laser, uh, which who I mentioned before, and who you should go find the Nerdy Laser podcast wherever you get your podcast. After 3 from Hell, do you want to see another entry into the Firefly series from Rob Zombie? Yes, I do. I want to see 3, 5, 10 more. I want to see as many more as he can possibly do. Um, uh, Sid Haig's... The loss of Sid Haig is very sad, but Richard Brake, I felt, breathed new life into the family and into the franchise, and I think there's the potential for lots more stories with the Fireflies, with the way that 3 from Hell ended... Uh, I thought Three from Hell showed a different level of maturity and expertise from Zombie. Uh, I think it's Cherry Moon Zombie's best performance. And sorry, I needed to hydrate there. Uh, yes, I want more. Hundred percent, absolutely. Uh, let's see here. Too complicated. Uh, another one from Ryan. Save this one from Schweck rate your top no Sharon I'm sorry that's a whole episode uh okay we gotta get to Corey Corey from the Spooky Dudes podcast also check that show out on iTunes Stitcher Spotify wherever your podcasts are found uh go check out Corey oh this one's pretty easy uh what is a line of pop vinyl figures you'd love to see that Funko hasn't given us yet um there is no line of pop vinyl figures I'd love to see because honestly I'm not that into pops uh every once in a while i'll pick them up when they sort of tickle my fancy but they're not something i i seek out necessarily and uh you know we we've got a couple dozen sitting around the house when it's a specific character that we think looks cute in that format but it's it's not it's not a toy line i put any thought into whatsoever um so but in the spirit of answering the question 
What is the line of pop vinyl figures you'd love to see that Funko hasn't given us yet? I mean, what haven't they given us yet? I don't even know. Um, uh, Bucky O'Hare. There you go. Uh, let's see. And then Corey's got like three more questions that are all going to have to wait. Matter of fact, they, they might make for a good episode in and of themselves or, or a live stream or something. Uh, that is too long. That is too long. Uh, <laughs> Oz, why do you hate Krull? Because it fucking sucks. I think we've covered it thoroughly enough. Uh, okay, this is a good one. Uh, the, okay, I've got two more. Two more, and I'm going to take the rest. And, and look, I'm, if I didn't get to your question, I'm sorry. But at this point, if I didn't get to your question, it's, it's because it's too good, and I have to save it for when I have more time. Uh, and I will absolutely be doing one of these next month because I have enough questions left to do it again. So, final two questions. From Sally, one of the nicest, most wonderful people I've ever met in my life. If you could have any costume made for you for free, no matter how elaborate, what would you choose? Now, I have answered this before, but it's been years. But... My question or my answer has not changed. I want one of the crew uniforms from the Star Trek original cast movies. And it's a very realistic. Like what a terrible choice because I could easily get that for you know a reasonable price. It could happen. But that's my dream costume. That's what I want. It's just it's always been what I want. I don't know why I haven't done it yet. I probably could have gotten one of those for the same price that I got my Serdavos costume. Although the Serdavos is very special to me because it's not something you really see a whole lot. Um, which made it a priority when I found somebody that was making it. I, I That really got me because he's my favorite character uh, on Game of Thrones. Uh, but yeah, that's that's it. I, wanna, I want one of those Star Trek original crew movie uniforms the the starfleet uniforms they're incredible they're one of the greatest uniforms in science fiction i think and uh i need one and i'll get one at some point finally my the the last question from pete thoughts on aew and for that my friends i tell you go and listen to last week's episode of the needless things podcast state of wrestling 2020 and uh, find the answer to thoughts on AEW. Uh, you get a little taste of it in the news. Uh, you know what? I, I've got one more. I've got one more. Let me pick somebody that didn't already ask a question. Uh, okay, this is it. We're going to end with Thomas. Uh, Thomas asks, which, by the way, that's my dad's name. Uh, Thomas asks, at what point did you switch from Toys Are For Playing to Toys Are For Collecting? Now, you guys, if you know me, you know that I am all about being genuine. Uh, I try not to have any sort of artifice or be fake or say things just because I know they're going to elicit a certain reaction, whether it's approval or dismay. I, I try my best to be a straight shooter and to tell it like it is. If I were 
a different person, if I were a different toy reviewer, if I were a different podcaster, I might say, toys are always for playing. That's just, you never stop playing with toys. And to a certain extent, that's true. Because when I'm opening up, when I'm reviewing them, I'm playing with them, I'm posing them, I'm testing out the accessories, I'm seeing what all the different features do. Um, but I, my, by the definition, or from what Thomas is asking, my assumption is toys are for playing means from sitting on the floor and setting up elaborate scenarios where Cobra kidnaps Stalker and the Joes have to pick their vehicles and their their uh, soldiers to go on a mission to get Stalker back from the Cobra headquarters. And the Cobra headquarters is set up under your parents' bed upstairs. And that's the, uh, the, the, all the vehicles are lined up and you've got this big war brewing and you're on the floor and you're, and, and you're making Destro talk like this and you're making Duke say, yo, Joe, let's go get him. And Sergeant Slaughter comes up and he says, you maggot, I'm going to knock you out. That kind of stuff, like, is what I think of as playing. So what I do now with toys where, you know, maybe every once in a while I even take them off the shelf and pose them and take pictures and stuff. That's not really playing. Uh, and toys are for collecting. Now, that definition uh, is very... I, I would be interested to hear what other people's definition of collecting is. Uh, it's very funny because my sister actually responded on this post as well. And... uh the, her answer was when he got his first toy, which to a certain extent is true because my original answer to this question was toys are for playing to toys are for collecting. It, I was probably 14 or 15 when I stopped what I just described as playing with my toys because as I know for a fact, as late as 1990, 1991, I was making movies with my Batman, and, well, with my custom Batman, because there was not a Batman that was sized to go with the Ninja Turtles figures. Um, but as late as 91-ish, I was still, like, it was playing. I was playing. I was doing, but I was filming it, so I was making movies. But I was definitely still playing with my toys when I was, 14, 15 years old. I'll, I'll say 15 just to push it. Uh, but I think by the time I was driving, I, I really wasn't playing in that way anymore. I was no longer storytelling in that way. I was no longer puppeteering in that way. Uh, but there was no switch from playing to collecting because, as my sister pointed out, I was collecting from the first toy I ever had. Uh the collecting toys has been my life and it's what i was talking about uh in the show open with you know getting that scare glow figure or getting this mutagen man figure that's what it's been is you get that first one you get your little taste and and then you've got to have now i've never been a completist i don't buy toys that i don't like and i don't really get that mentality. Okay, well, I take that back. With Masters Universe Classics, I had no choice but to buy toys I didn't like. But that's that's a different that's different from what we're talking about. Um, with Marvel Legends, if I don't have to buy somebody for a Build-A-Figure and it's somebody I don't give a shit about, I don't buy them. I don't need anything to be complete. Uh, I don't buy something just for the sake of having a complete collection. But 
once I start with a line, I want everything I want from that line. It is very hard for me to say, you know what, I don't really need that. And I've been trying to do better at that over the past couple of years. And I'll, I'll go through spurts where I do really, really well with, you know what, I don't really need that. Uh, but as a matter of fact, I just recently with the Masters of WWE figures, the Masters of the Universe WWE crossover figures that are hitting Walmarts now, I have actually said no to those uh, several times now. So I think I'm 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 past the the problem zone with those. I've walked by them in the store uh you know 6 6 8 10 times now and no longer feel tempted. And that's the problem is you give in on that initial that impulse where you're like, "Man, that figure looks cool." And uh like the if you follow me on Instagram, you saw I can't remember the name of the toy line right now, but it's a little wrestling guy and a little army guy. Uh, looks basically just like Duke from G.I. Joe. They've got tons of articulation. They're about five and a half inch figures. They look great. And I impulse bought the shit out of those. But I got them. They're great. And once I was home, I was like, you know what? I don't need a shelf full of these. Uh, they're really neat. I like them. I'm glad I've got these two. And I'm done. Unless they make... You know, if I see something really phenomenal, I'll probably pick it up. But this is not a line I'm going to collect, uh, like I like I do with Marvel Legends or like I did with DC Universe Classics. Um, so I don't I don't buy I don't buy things for the sake of I've got all of Wave Six of this. Uh, that's just not how I roll. There are Predators from Nakas. As much as I love Predator, uh, as much as I love Nakas Predator line, there are Predators that I have skipped because I've looked at them and just thought this isn't. Uh, this isn't different enough. This isn't going to pop enough on the shelf. I just don't need this one. Uh, same thing with aliens. So, uh, but I have been a collector my whole entire life. When I get into a line, I want everything I want from that line. And that's, I was that way when I was a kid. Uh, and I never really stopped collecting toys. I would say from, and, and I don't want to get into my whole history of toys, but around my post-high school to when I moved out on my own, so really only about two years, I, I didn't really collect as much, but that's, see, that's not even fair to say because Kenner Star Wars relaunched in 95 and uh that got me back in full bore so i don't know maybe i never stopped collecting really but uh i've always been a collector so there you go that is your q and a and i absolutely have i'm sorry if i didn't get to your question but i will get to it next time because what i'm going to do is i'm going to take all of the questions that i did not answer in this episode i'm going to put them in a bundle i'm going to keep them in my notes and when I solicit for questions next time, these will be the ones I get to first, no matter what. And uh, next month, I will do another Q&A because that was fun and I enjoyed it. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please let me know by either commenting on the episode, commenting in the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group. Uh, if you want to ask me a question directly, phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. Uh, follow me on Instagram as phantomtroublemaker. Uh, follow Needless Things Podcast on Instagram. And uh, wow, I guess I should just throw the music 
under here at some point because this is the outro, you guys. Next week, come back for my bloody Valentine, our Valentine's Day needless commentary. I love it when a holiday falls on a commentary day and we can do a little tie-in, especially when we have a full house. Everybody came out for this one, including our very special guest, director of the award-winning documentary, Troublemaker. That's right, Jason Wilson is with us for this one. We've got a full house, and it's great, and you're going to enjoy it. You guys, that is all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. This was a blast. Uh, Bring the questions. Keep bringing them, and I'll keep doing this. I love you guys. listening to the needless things podcast you're the best you can find the show on itunes stitcher downcast or in the ears of a trader vix employee love you mean it Uh uh-huh